Okay, this week's portion is portion of Bahaloscha. Today we could really enjoy the tea. Oh. Yeah. Gosh. And um, what do we go around the table? Where does it get the name? Where does the name come from? Bahaloscha. This is right in the beginning. As you'll see, right, yeah, the third line, yeah. Okay. Why don't we go around the table and we're going to do a little bit of the Chomesh and the Rashi. And um, why don't you start, we start with Janice, Mr. Rebison, we'll start with you. So we'll do, all right, Janice, you want to start? Okay, start. The Lord said to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you light the lamps, the seven lamps shall cast their light toward the face of the menorah. When you, shall I? Okay, hold on one second. Okay. So, as you know, uh, there is a whole portion in the Torah in which the Torah discusses, in which the Torah discusses how the construction of all the parts of the of the tabernacle and the the Mishkan and the Kalim, namely in the Mishkan we had various different. Kalim, we had the uh, menorah was one of them, but we also had the Aron. That was actually placed in the Kodesh HaKadashim. We had the Shulchan, we had a table. We had the menorah, we had the um, Kior. Um, various different uh, fixtures that we had in the Mishkan. And over there, the Torah describes how each one of them was constructed. Now here, we're talking already uh, when they were actually starting to use to use them. Just to give you a little, remind you a little bit how things took place. So the Jews went out of Egypt. That was Passover. After they went out of Egypt, so they, want, they were wandering in the desert until they came to Har Sinai, to Mount Sinai. They came to Midbar Sinai. They came over there. And then they were given the Ten Commandments. God appeared to them. And that's why we had just the holiday of Shavuot. That's when the Ten Commandments were given. Moshe Rabbeinu, following the Ten Commandments, went back up to the mountain for 40 days to get all the rest of the Torah. There was only the Ten Commandments, but to get all the rest of the Torah. So he went up for another 40 days, and unfortunately, when he came down, the Jewish people have built this golden calf. So when he came down with the Luchot, he actually broke the Luchot. He, he broke the Luchot. And then he had to go up for another 40 days to pray to God, and then finally God says, come up and we'll make, make, bring the tablets, and we'll make a second, give you the second, I'll engrave on the second tablets, those things that I've written before. By the time he came down the second time, it was already after Yom Kippur. That was Yom Kippur, he came down by Yom Kippur. So you have already Pesach, is when they came out. You had the whole summer, until we're now up to the, um, uh, um, fall already, it's Yom Kippur. Huh? That year. Yom, what? Yom Kippur. Now, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down to Yom Kippur, there is various opinions. We want to talk about Rashi's opinion. Moshe Rabbeinu was telling them about the construction of the temple. 
So starting with from after Yom Kippur, the day after Yom Kippur, when Moshe Rabbeinu told them all about the construction of the temple and they all brought the gifts, it took them for the entire winter, basically, the entire winter, until they constructed the entire Mishkan. Everything was ready. So it took them about five months to have everything ready. Now we call it the second year. The year of the Torah begins with Nisan, when Pesach, because that was the time they left. So that's, Nisan is called the first month in the Torah. Now we, we have names for the month. We call them Nisan, Iyar, Tishrei, Cheshvon. Those names are not actually biblical names. They don't find those names in the Torah. The Torah calls them Chodesh HaRishon, Chodesh HaSheni, Chodesh HaShlishi, numbers them. So the first number in the Torah is HaChodesh HaZelachem Rosh Chadashim. The first month is actually the month of what we call Nisan. That's called the Chodesh Rishon. So now we're up to one year later. In that year, on the first day of Nisan, so that's exactly the first day of the second year. So the year ended, it started with the going out of Egypt. So now they went through 12 months, basically, minus because the exodus was on the 15th day of the month, but we still count from the beginning of the month. So they went through a whole year, and now after the year, on the first day of the month, which is Echad bin Nisan, the first day of Nisan, Hukam HaMishkan, the Mishkan was actually ready. Before it was ready, the first seven days, they used to uh, undo it and do it. They used to, uh, for seven days, they put it together and took it apart. And actually, Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who did all the services in the first seven days. But on the first day of Nisan, it was finally raised and it stood up. And that's when it stood until they journeyed, which was much later, they, they, they journeyed. It stayed there for a while till they, till they journeyed later on, as we learn in the Parsha. When uh, they first stand up, the, the, the first build up the Mishkan. So now the leaders of the tribes, the Nesim, they're called the Nasi of the tribes, they were um, worried that they are going to have the same issue that they had the first time around. Because we were told, Rashi explains, that when all the Jews were busy contributing to the Mishkan, which, by the way, was like an unbelievable thing. I think it's never happened in the Jewish history again. It was the only time where they said, no, we have enough money, don't bring any more. Yeah. I've never heard of something like that. An organization to say, we have enough, you know, don't give any more. So, but they, originally, the Nesim, the leaders, they made a pledge and they said that let the ordinary, the rest of the Jewish people, let them bring everything they want and anything they will be missing, we are going to bring. So this way, they undertook to do everything what it's going to be lacking. It's sort of, they said, let everybody do, we'll finish it up. But the problem was that the Jewish people gave so much that it wasn't really left for them anything to do. So they were almost left out of it. So this time, 
when they actually inaugurated the Mishkan, they built it, they said, we're not going to lay, we're going to come first, and they had a plan, that they were going to bring a gift, the first ones to give to the Mishkan. They want to bring the note. they're going to bring the various different agalot they're going to bring, they're going to bring various different things as a korban and the carriages. They wanted to make sure this time, all the leaders, that they're not going to miss the boat, that they're going to be there. And then God says to them that there should only be one tribe at a time. Each day, one tribe. So then Hashem says to them, don't all tribes bring it in one day. Nasi echad layom, nasi echad layom, yaviyot karbanam, one tribe per day, bring the korban. And so they started bringing, starting with the first day of Nisan, was Nachshon ben Aminadav, Machte Yehuda, and then we went on through the 12th day of Nisan. That's considered to be the Chanukat HaMizbeach, the inauguration of the Mizbeach, which was done by the leaders. At that very first day, which we were talking about Rosh Chodesh Nisan, when they first raised the Mishkan, that was considered to be a very special day. The Talmud says that first, first day of the year, of the second year, Talmud says that there were four special portions that Hashem taught them. There were uh, ten crowns that they took. Unfortunately, it was also the day that Nadav and Avihu died. It all took place on that first day, on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of Nisan. Now, the way we learn in the Torah, so the last week's parsha, the end of the parsha, which was also very uh, strange in a way, because the Torah goes through in great detail the gifts of each one. It's basically redundant, repetitive, over and over again. Exactly the same words. There's no change of words. It only changes the name of the tribe and the name of the leader who represented the tribe. But the identical, the gifts were identical. It's brought down that even though physical was identical, but each one accomplished what they had to accomplish for their tribe. But nevertheless, that is what the Torah does. The Torah brings down each one. But this week's parsha begins with a portion of Bahaloitzcha, which was a parsha which God has told Moshe Rabbeinu on the first day of Nisan. So Rashi wonders and says, well, when God was saying to Moshe, Bahaloitzcha Sanoiris, why is the place over here? This was already in the order of the Torah, the sequence. This was already after 12 days. The Torah is telling Why don't we have the portion of Bahaloscha, which was actually told to him on the first day of Nisan versus putting it into the beginning of this week's Parsha, which distort uh, the, the command of when you light the menorah. And Rashi actually says that you're right. It actually belongs over there, but the part, the Torah stuck it in over here to tell you that something transpired between Moshe Rabbeinu, between Aaron HaKohen and HaKadosh Baruch Hashem. That Aaron HaKohen, he saw that he wasn't part of what was going on over there. Every tribe 
there were 12 tribes, because there was actually 12 tribes, but the tribe of Levi wasn't represented. Neither was he, nor his tribe was represented. The reason they got 12, because as we know, the tribe of Joseph was split into two, of Menashe and Ephraim, so that was the two. So, But it was 12 tribes for 12 days, but the tribe of Levi wasn't there, not him and not them. Now, one wonders, one can ask, well, why didn't they participate? It seems almost, in the Pasi, it looks quite clearly, Rashi implies that, that they came up with a gift of their own, like I said, because they weren't there the first time in the gifts of the Mishkan, and to a certain extent, it almost seems like, like the tribe of Aaron, of the Levis, because they were actually serving in the Mishkan, as we're going to be reading later on, they actually did all the work in the Mishkan while the other people contributed something. But who actually ended up doing the work? Who actually ended up serving in the Mishkan? There was the Levim and the Kohanim. They actually did the work. So perhaps they didn't think that it was that important. Aaron didn't think in the beginning, he didn't think it was that important to go ahead and also bring the gift because they themselves were. Their time was a gift. Their service was a gift. They didn't have to bring something to the Mishkan. They were actually doing the service in the Mishkan. Maybe that's what he thought. doesn't say. It just says, Rashi says, we're going to see in a minute, he saw that all the tribes were part of it and he wasn't part of it. Not him and not his tribe. He felt bad. Yeah? Chronologically, a month and a half ago, Nadav and Abihu died in Shemini. That was mid-April. What, why are you saying a month? You've been thinking a month and a half ago from when we read yeah. in the Torah? Yes. Yeah, but the, the, uh, the I just said, Nadav Avihu just died um, um, on, on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Right. Doesn't matter when it was recorded in the Torah. Mm-hmm. In the Torah, actually, it's recorded over there in Parshat Shmini. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But, and that's what we read in the Torah. But the time still... That took place on the first day of Nisan. That's when it actually took place. Yeah. Um, the um, the uh, Pasik is telling us, sort of Hashem was saying to Aaron, don't feel bad. I don't feel bad. And as I once interpreted, why did he feel bad? Because he felt bad. Maybe, you know, a lot of times, and, you know, sometimes it's personal. Um, sometimes you maybe doubt yourself. You don't think what you're doing is as important as somebody else is doing. Sometimes you look up and you see, um, you know, maybe some people look very successful, like they're doing uh, very big things. They're impacting on a global scale. And then you maybe you think what you're doing is just like very modest, you know, that you're bringing a only a very small gift. You're not really turning over the whole world. Sometimes you have teachers going in there, taking one student at a time, teaching them and training them and helping them along their way. Sometimes it's um, work that requires like one-on-one, and then you see some other people are you know doing like such huge things they're impacting like the whole world and you see it all over the news and all over the 
um, internet, you know, like they're, you know, they're, they're speaking to the president and they're doing, you know, such big things. So it seems like Aaron, at the end of the day, even though he thought that he was doing the work, so he didn't participate, but at the end he saw the whole big commotion that everybody was celebrating and everybody was doing and everything was done. So even though he had his part also, but Chol Shedaita, he sort of, he felt bad because he wanted to be, you know, like all the big shots over there, like all the, all, because he did the work, he did it inside in the temple, he did it inside the Mishka, nobody saw, I mean, it was, he was actually doing the work, you know, it's, uh, you know, he's like, he's sitting in the kitchen and actually cooking and preparing and working, putting in a lot of hours and then, you know, somebody's going out there and making the big party outside, but somebody had to work and clean it up and prepare and do all the actually tedious work to make it all happen. But that doesn't get so much of the recognition. You don't get all the all the uh, for for doing that. And even though, in a sense, that is um, maybe most important because... Uh, so what does God say to Aaron? Aaron felt, felt bad. So what does God say to Aaron? God says to Aaron, Yours is greater than theirs, for you are the one that ends up lighting the menorah. So you're doing uh, your job. Don't, don't, don't feel bad. You know, he said also um, last time, God doesn't want us to feel bad. He wants to feel good about what we do. I mean, if we... And God doesn't reject a feeling. Say, okay, don't feel bad. You know, just do what you have to do. Don't feel bad. No. God understands us that we're frail human beings and that we can have jealousy and sometimes we can envy somebody. God is not telling us, don't be envious or don't feel bad or don't look at somebody else. Just do your thing and that's it. He doesn't say that. But God actually says... He's going to show you that you have no reason to envy anybody else because what you're doing is greater. So God is actually saying you're doing is greater than theirs. So don't, don't look at them. Don't think that the person who is all over making all these noises over there. You know, sometimes the Gomorrah says that um, a pushka, that's a, a tzedakah box, which has just a few coins and you shake it, it makes a lot of noise. If it's full, it doesn't make so much noise, you know. So if it's full, sometimes it makes less noise than, uh, than it's empty. An empty one makes a lot of noise. But you're doing the work, be happy with what you're doing. Hashem actually tells him that what you're doing is greater than what they're doing. Now you'll see in the, it's, when, when we learn inside, you'll see that simply at the first look, it seems like Hashem was saying to him, Yes, they made a gift for the Mizbeach. Yes, they did a part of it. But what you're going to do, you're going to be lighting the menorah. But that's even greater. But we have to realize that, number one, the menorah did not have to be lit specifically by Aaron. So how would this do? Anybody of a Kohen can light the menorah. It's not a requirement. There are certain tasks which only the Kohen Gadol does. As, for example... The Kohen Gadol uh, brings a special offering every day. It was only the Kohen Gadol. Uh, the Kohen Gadol does the service on Yom Kippur. Is only the Kohen Gadol. But all the other regular services is not the, uh, is not the Kohen Gadol, just any Kohen. 
So what is Hashem saying? What you're doing is greater than they. It does not even. It's not even He's doing it. You know, anybody can do it. I mean, even though there wasn't that many choices at the time, it was just Aaron and his sons. So presumably Aaron is the one that did it, anyways. But and also how how does this answer the um, dedication of the Mishkan? So the way the Rebbe learns what Hashem was saying to him was that even though they inaugurated the Mishkan, but you get to inaugurate the, the, the menorah. Inaugurating the menorah, in a way, is a greater privilege than inaugurating the Mizbeach. So the question is, what is so special about the Mizbeach? What's so about the menorah that we're saying that the menorah is the greatest uh, uh, privilege that you have? So you're feeling bad because they are inaugurating and you're not a part of the inauguration of the Mizbech. But Hashem says yours is greater because you're going to be inaugurating the menorah. The menorah is a greater thing than that. Why is the menorah greater? Just in our, our Pasuk, it says... So that's another thing that one needs to realize. If you take a look at the various different kinds of fixtures they had in the Mishkan, it almost seems like a home, Right? What do you have in your house? Right? You have a stove. You have a stove. And corresponding to a stove to cook on, right? Or to put in, they had the mizbech. You have a table, they had a shulchan. Right? You have a wash, a sink, they had a kior. And um, it would seem like um, a natural thing to have in the... Mishkan would be the menorah. The menorah was, was a light. Uh, how are they going to get the light over there? Now, if you think about it, the, menorah, the, the Mishkan was built with beams all around. It was covered with tapestries, various different layers. There was no light going in there. It was, must have been pitch black inside, inside the Mishkan. So one would assume that they put a menorah in there so to illuminate, to make it light. Just like you would have a, a candelabra in your house on the table. You'd put in a menorah just to give light over there, one would assume. But the, the strange thing is, nobody really was in the Mishkan in the nighttime. The only time they had the menorah lighting over there was actually at nighttime. It was Me'erev at Boker. There's another opinion, actually, that says that they lit it again. Be'tivis near the Rambam holds that they let it out. So that's all another view. But the common view is that Rashi's view is that the menorah was lit at night time and it lasted till the morning and then there was a miraculous light, the Nerma Ravi used to burn all day longer but the main light was there at night time and nobody was in the Mishkan at night time there wasn't any services at night time in the Mishkan and generally the Mizbeach, just so you know the Mizbeach was on the outside where they would bring the Mizbeach HaChitzon that's where they would bring all the sacrifices, that was in the courtyard. In the Mishkan itself, they just brought in the, they brought the Katoris, they lit the menorah, and they'd go out. There was no, like, much going on inside the Mishkan on a regular basis. It was a desert, it was a holy place. So who were they bringing the light for? They were bringing the light for God? What does God needs the light over there? Why did they light the menorah in the Mishkan? And that's why the Parsha actually says, take a look at the first verse we just read. How did they construct the lighting of the menorah? They had all the lights facing the body, the middle stem of the menorah. 
it all, why did you go to the middle step? Because normally, one would expect that you should light the menorah, actually get the flames and get the light as to cover as wide as an area as you can. But over here, what they worked just the opposite. They made it all go towards the center of the menorah. They were all tilted and it all faces at the menorah. Why did they do that? So Rashi explains, also Rashi explains, they did that because that was precisely the point to show that the menorah wasn't there to actually bring light into the Mishkan. That's not the purpose of it. Had that been the purpose, then you would spread out the light. The purpose was to actually light the menorah so that from the light of the menorah, it should expand to the entire world. It was the light of the menorah that brought light in a spiritual sense. The Gemara says, actually, we can't say that God needs the light of the menorah because God himself was the light that led the Jewish people throughout the journey in the desert. It says there was a pillar of light going in front of them. So if God is the pillar of light that goes in front of them, why would he need them to make light for him? That's not possible, the Gemara says. But it was, the menorah was there, the Talmud says, to show God's miracles to the Jewish people, to show his love to the Jewish people. It was all done in a miraculous way. It was done as a service in the Mishkan. So God was sort of saying to Aaron, he's saying to you, don't think what you are doing is less value. Because you are lighting the menorah and the whole existence of the menorah is a spiritual existence, a spiritual light. Or as I take it to the metaphor that we were spoken before, you know, you have the teachers out there who are working with the students. You have the people that are out there actually working very hard doing the groundwork. You have the big fundraisers and you have the big announcements and you have... But then there is the people that actually do the work. They do the work. They kindle the menorah. Because we know that really the menorah, lighting the menorah represents every Jewish soul, a Jewish person. There are seven branches because not everybody is the same. We have various different types of character characteristics. As you know, perhaps that the sfirot, the middos, the attributes of the human is divided into seven attributes. You have chesed, Gevura, Tiferes, Netzachod, Yisoda Malchus, there are seven, seven branches. And Aaron is the one that lit each one of these different, various different branches. That was the actual job of Aaron. God is saying to him, Yours is greater than theirs. But there is even something more about the menorah, which was special for Aaron. Because what was special for Aaron with the menorah, we are going to see the menorah had a very strange command. It was unique. The menorah was very detailed. It had seven branches. It had various different kinds of flowers. And then it has buttons. It has all kinds of designs. It had various different intricate details. Exactly the Torah describes in details how it was supposed to be shaped. The strange thing is, as we're going to learn in a few verses on, Shem wanted it to be done in a strange way. Instead of making pieces and welding it together, Shem wanted it to come from one piece. Miksha, 
you take one kikar of gold, you take a, a, a amount of gold, and you start stretching it and pulling it and cutting it and shaping it until you get a Samresh Menorah. That's the way that it was done. Now one wonders why why being done in such a way? Why why not use the uh, easier way? Matter of fact, what happened, it says that Moshe Rabbeinu could not quite get it. Hashem had to tell him, look, this is the way, this is the shape, the way it's supposed to be. He had to show him. And still, even after he was shown, he couldn't construct it. Neither him nor Betzalel, who actually did the work, they couldn't construct it. And then they finally did what? They finally threw it into the fire. And the menorah came out by itself. So who actually made the menorah? It turns out Hashem made the menorah. So the menorah was actually created by God. Everything else in the Mishkan was created by man. But what was created by Hashem himself it was the menorah. And that's why Hashem is telling to Aaron, yours is greater than theirs, because as the Rebbe learns, you are dedicating the menorah, because you are dedicating something which God himself created. It's God's creation, the menorah, and you have the privilege of dedicating that. And in a similar way, as we're talking about, since every branch represents another category, another type of a Jew, another emotional attribute, another direction, and essentially Hashem is saying, you have the special privilege, this is mine that I created, each one of them, each Jewish person that you go and you kindle the menorah, you scratch a match and you light it, you ignite their heart and fire, you get them interested, and you make them closer to me, to Hashem. This is mine, Hashem. This is the greatest privilege that you have. If you can educate people, if you can take one child at a time, or you can take, and as the previous Rebbe said many times, a child is not just by the passport, which means how old you are. A child means one who is limited in knowledge, hasn't been exposed, hasn't learned, and doesn't know the heritage, that's also a child. That's the same child. So you have the privilege and you have the opportunity. That's the greatest thing that you can expect. Don't You don't need to be in the newspapers. You need to do, you are doing the real great work. This is the most important work that you're doing. Shalachah, G'daylum, yours is greater than them. But why did Hashem tell them to make it in this strange way. Why didn't Hashem allow them to construct it in the easier way? Why did it need Hashem to do it? And there's a tremendous, powerful message and lesson from this that tells us that notwithstanding that there may be differences amongst us seven, but we still all come from the same piece. It's not really seven pieces that are brought together but rather we are really all one. We all come from the same source and from the same place. It is only that from the same place later on it stretches out and it branches out to various different branches. No different than a tree which starts off with a stem with one main part and then later on it branches out.
But at the end of the day, all the branches and all the leaves and everything that comes and all the fruits and everything that comes, they all nurture, they go back to the source and they all nurture from the same, same place. Yes? Could the sadness in Aaron also be because his two eldest died that same day? Well, in this particular case, um, this was uh, what we're talking about. Matter of fact, the Pasuk says that Aaron received reward because Vayidom Aharon, he was quiet. He did not, uh, he did not sort of um, complain and he accepted God's judgment, which was a pretty tough judgment for him to take, but... Um, so that wasn't his complaint. Over here we're talking about Rashi's, his it wasn't a complaint, it was an envy. He felt bad. He felt bad. I mean, God, I mean, I, I see this as a tremendous lesson also that one need not feel bad. You know, if you feel bad about something, then it's inevitable. You're not going to be excited. You're not going to be able to do it properly. I, I see all these different messages here. On one hand, it's okay to feel bad. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's okay. And it's okay to feel bad because you see, God didn't make Aaron feel good to begin with. If, if Aaron was jealous, yeah. If you see that somebody else is very successful and you have a little envy, you want to be successful, that's not bad. Kinas sofrim the envy of scribes or of scholars will increase the wisdom. You'll also want to increase. If you see somebody else is doing and they're being very successful, you might want to emulate them and also be very successful. That's good. So it's okay, but it's not good to keep on. If you feel but but you have to realize that what you're doing is important. And everybody has a mission which God places them in. We can't decide and say, I want to do this, I want to do that. God places everybody in certain situations. There's so many situations that we don't have any choices. Sometimes we have choices in certain things. But there's so many situations which family we're born into, which gender we're born into, what Sometimes, I don't know, sometimes, you know, we don't have a choice who we marry to. We think we marry one person, we end up finding out he's a totally different person, you know. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different things that, that we, we, who our kids are, who our kids are, and yeah, and there's just, and you know, what our financial status is, what our standing amongst the people, what we do, we do, we, there's a lot of things we're not, we're not in control, you know, we're not in control. Some people would rather not be born. And no, they're born. They're born into the world. Some people would rather not live in this world. But, you know, some people don't want to die. Nobody wants to die, probably. You know, so, you know, you know, so we don't have... But if God puts us somewhere, so it's okay to say, oh, especially when we're talking about spiritual matters, to look up, this is the difference between spiritual matters and physical, material things. In materialistic things, one should always train themselves to say, thank God for what I have. Because look at somebody who doesn't even have that. 
and you will see that Baruch Hashem, you have to count your blessings for everything that God has given you. And stop quetching and complaining and, and thinking that, you know, you've gotten the raw end of the deal. But that is as far as materialistic things is. And it's true. Don't focus on somebody who has a four-car garage and say, look, fortunately I have a car and I should be happy. But that's only as far as the materialistic needs. But when you talk about one's spiritual state, one should never say, okay, I'm satisfied because I know a little Torah. The guy, my neighbor, doesn't even know that. No. Over there you have to look up to somebody who is more learned. You say, look, I would like to be more knowledgeable. Or if you see somebody more influential, somebody who's having more success, and somebody who's doing a lot of good work, is involved with the community aspect, does good work, you should say, oh, I would like to also do uh, as the other person. Mm -hmm. And always remember, try to increase what you're doing. Unfortunately, sometimes people, when they're envious, they find the easier way, they put the other one down. Mm -hmm. Instead of mm -hmm. trying, you know, as they say, there's two ways of getting higher than your friend. It's either you get on a chair, or you bury them in the ground. And either way, you'll be higher, but it's sometimes easier to bury the other person or to find fault and say he's not doing anything. Just this criti criticism, you know, it's, it's pretty easy, you know, to say, you know, the... the the person, I, I could do it better and, you know, I would do, you know, everybody you know, but it's okay to want to be better, okay, but to feel bad, then you have to say to yourself, God put me in this situation. In this case, God is saying to Aaron, well, you may not make all that noise, but your job is a greater job, you're doing it better. You have the opportunity. What is Hashem saying to us? Hashem is saying to us, in the sense, make it all out of one. Realize that in essence we're really one. We as a Jewish people, even though we have different characteristics, we have different uh, ways of life, different uh, statuses, there are seven branches which represent seven, represent the 70 souls of Israel that went down to Egypt, seven times ten, each one is included of 10, that's number 7, number 70. We have to realize that at the end of the day, we all come, we're all a golden, come from the same thing. As the Alter Rebbe explains in the Tanya, he says that uh, that is the way for a person to really reach out and love thy fellow as themselves. But of course, you are you and they are they. How could you really uh, love the other person? So the Alter Rebbe explains over there that if your body, your material needs, is the most important thing in your life, what your material needs are, so then inevitably you and the other person are two different. You have two different interests because, you know, my material needs is not your material needs and we go in different directions. But that's only if our material needs are what's most important to us. But if what we focus on is on our spiritual level, on our neshama, on our soul. Our souls are not really different. Because the way it works with the souls, as you go up one level, uh, a lot of these souls that are here for each individual, they actually come from one place. And from that one place, they get 
splintered up into various different bodies. But if you go up one level, they're actually one and the same soul. If you go up another higher level, they're actually only, they're really one. So really, there is no difference. It's the only thing is, they have descended into different bodies, into different, physically, in different areas, but our neshamas is really the same. So if we choose to focus and make our uh, soul our main objective of our life, then we get along fine. Just like, it's like one body. Uh, various different people, is like different limbs in the same body. So it's not, it makes sense that the hand should get angry at the foot, or the foot at the hand. It's just, you're, you're, you're part of the same, you're the same person, you're one. So how could you, how could you um, not get along? Because you're, you're one and the same. So if you realize that you're one and the same, and that's the message, Hashem doesn't want these separate pieces coming from various different areas. Hashem wants it all come from the same, because that's the truth of the matter is. The truth of the same is that that's the... Um, and Aaron being the Kohen Godel, and the Kohen is known to also have the level of love in their heart. And that's why they bless, they say when they do the Birchat Kohanim, they say, Levarech, Hashem commanded us to bless the people of Israel. And the last word they say in the blessing is, Ba'ahava, with love. A Kohen is considered a f- person that loves the other person. So basically, it's a labor of love, of going and finding the candles, going and finding the sparks of goodness in all the souls. And if it's a Kohen who loves, he goes out there and he kindles each one. He kindles their soul and he helps them find a way. And then what you see is that you create a beautiful menorah from all these different souls together. You create a beautiful shining candelabra. And as we also talk about that in the Beit HaMikdash, um, they built, this was in the regular pyramid, they had a very thick, the walls of the, of the uh, Beit HaMikdash. The Mishkan was just, they had these beams over there, but there was a more permanent structure, the Beit HaMikdash, which Shlomo HaMelech built. So that had a very thick wall. And they had the windows over there in the walls. And those windows were made in a uh, different way than one would expect, because normally the way a window that goes in a diagonal, you'd have, on the outside, you'd have it wider, and in the inside, you'd have it narrower so that it can capture as much of the light from the outside to come in the inside. But the way it worked in the Beit HaMikdash is, it was wide inside and it was narrow on the outside to show you that the flow, the direction went from the Bet HaMikdash to the rest of the world. It wasn't that the world was bringing in to the Bet HaMikdash, but rather the Bet HaMikdash was giving out into the world. And that's the beauty of being able to light the souls and light the menorah and the Kohen that did it with love. And you know, it uh, comes to mind, definitely, we had our own Kohen Godel, and we have in our generation, which I know this is the work that the Rebbe did, and the Rebbe did, and the Rebbe in 
encouraged all of us to go ahead and find find people that maybe don't even know that they have a spark. Maybe they don't even know they have a soul. They don't even know anything about about Yiddishkeit. So sometimes you have to scratch, you know, like a strike a match. You gotta work a little bit about it. Sometimes it's like um, it's brought down it's like like a flintstone. You know, you gotta really give it a a bang in order to get a spark out of there. Some people are sometimes buried and their neshama is there, but it's been covered and it's been hidden and it's been... But the amazing thing is, when you give it a good strike and you give it a good, a good light, then you see that the flame goes up by itself. It goes up beautiful, it starts to shine. And we have the evidence, we have how many thousands and thousands of people we see that all together that flame of Yiddishkeit, the love for Torah, the love for Hashem, the love for mitzvahs, and despite all of our disappointments and uh, sometimes even uh, questions that we have, the challenges that we have, still we see the menorah is burning bright and uh, this is all preparing for us for the coming of Mashiach when we will actually be able to light the real menorah, not only the uh, metaphorically our souls, but we light the actual menorah. I'm not sure, but um, we're on, I think we're about time should be about yeah. what time is that? Five of seven. Five of seven. All right. Anybody want to ask something for the next? Uh, the, uh, you want to say something? Comment. When you were seeing the Rebbe in our time with our Kohen Hagadol, you were mean literally. I, uh, what I mean literally, is it really not a coin? No, no that's what I think. No. Well, but no, we're all talking about metaphorically. Yes. It's very hard to learn the Parsha literally because then you say to yourself, well, what relevance does it have to me? There's no Aaron today, there's no Bet Amigdash, there's no Menorah, so why, why am I studying about lighting the Menorah? I mean, well, well you know, it seems to be totally irrelevant, you know, studying about it, but when we study about it in the context of a soul and of togetherness and pointing out various different instructions, then it gets meaning, you have meaning for it today, then you, that's the way we're supposed to take the message of Torah, not only in the literal sense, when it would be literally, but to take it in the in the metaphoric sense. What? When Mashiach comes, then, yeah, that's right, yeah. Right, but how, what do we do about it now? So we have to find, have to find meaning and uh, to see how to, how to apply this. And um, and I think uh, everybody, uh, at the end of the day, maybe we want to be uh, somebody else or we want to be somebody greater. But then, if we realize that this is where God put us, that that's where we need to be. If we want to say, you know, there's women sitting here at the year, you know, some, some women, they want to be like men, or they want to do everything that the men want to do, I mean, so why, so, but everybody has their job, you know, everybody has their task, and everybody has uh, what Hashem wants from them, and, and therefore, um, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't want to do more, but we shouldn't feel bad, it's not about Chalisha's diet, we should say, this is what Hashem wants for me, and I'm going to do the best job that I can 
doing what I do, what I'm best at, which is really my talents, my ability, my gifts from Hashem, and I'm going to do, I'm going to make it, I make the most of it, and that's what, and then you're happy with what you do, you don't feel... But it almost uh, sounded like Aaron wasn't, and it was like he was questioning because he saw everybody else doing better, and he was behind the scenes, and he wanted to, you know... It's like I see all these women in town, they can prepare meals for 20 mm-hmm. people. Me, I can barely do for my family, and I look at them, and I say, oh, you know, when I ever will be like them. You know, or these women that make the kiddish, and, you know. Or the public servants who are, like, getting awards right. for their volunteering here, right. and they're so helping all I these do people. something else that I can do out of my house. It's the same sort of thing. Exactly. As opposed but to don't feel, so in other words, it's okay yeah. to say, oh, I wish I could do that. Don't let it bring you down. Don't make right. it let you feel bad. Right. Oh, it, it could, you could feel bad for an instant. But then you got to say to yourself, look, God put me there. This is what the gift, this is the, that's your purpose. These are the koiches, this is the energy that God has bestowed upon me. I'll do the best of what I can do. And we always, we have to, we're only expected to be the best that we can be, not what somebody else can be. We have to do what we can do and not what anybody else can do. And the thing is too, the end of the day, it's important to be happy with what you're doing. You can't feel bad to bring you. It's okay for a short time just to say, oh, it's not, it looks nice. But then to realize that this is what God wants for me, and therefore I'm the happiest person. Maybe what I'm doing could be more important than what they're doing, and that's it, you know, and that, that's okay. And, and, and it probably is, because for you... I mean, for each one of us, that's the best we can do. You had mentioned things we'd have no control over. I went to communist Russia in 1972, and I came back here, and ever since then I have said, Baruch Hashem, thank you Hashem, that for allowing me to be born in America, mm-hmm. a land of democracy and freedom. Mm-hmm. Not only in Russia, I think yeah, this is still the best country of any place of the world. Uh, if you have a choice to be, if you had a choice where you want to be born, you probably be uh, then you have uh, you probably want to be born in this country. So that's you know that's that's a gift. Yeah, we should think about it. And, and at this time, I'm happy to be living. Yes, yeah. <laughs> living living in America. No. <laughs> the Rebbe said. The Rebbe said once he wanted to go to Israel, but he said what? He said yeah. you can make Israel over here. Oh. <laughs> he didn't want you to make it either. here. You make here Israel. 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 I would be happy with his people. Exactly. Separated from the Arab countries. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. In a safe area, we like Israel. Yeah. yeah, but we're working on Mashiach will come very soon, and everything will be uh, safe. Hopefully, safe and sound. All right, we'll leave it.